Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 61 of season three of Brody Sports Talk. My name is Sean Morgan. I am joined uh, solely today uh, and really for most of the episodes this week um, by Caleb Walgren. Uh, unfortunately, Derek is out. Uh, we wish him all the best. Everything is uh, is OK with him. He's just got some family matters that he is attending to. Uh, but Caleb, how are things going for you today? I know you'd probably rather have the new star of Brody Sports Talk, my son, on with us today. Uh, alas, as we do record late for the majority of these episodes, he is out. So <laughs> so you are stuck with me, and I will do my best to bring that Walgren family football go. knowledge. Get that, bring that energy. Bring that Walgren energy. Well, this is one of my favorite episodes of the week, if not probably my favorite episode of the week. It is time for the Brody Sports Talk NFL Power Rankings. So as I do with each and every single Power Rankings episode, uh, I explain what Power Rankings are. Uh, if you've never you know, heard of power rankings before? Well, here's the time to be educated. So what a power ranking is, is where we take all 32 NFL teams uh, across, you know, division, across conference. We throw them all into a big pot. And we pull them out one by one and rank them one by one. So that way you can see what teams are essentially doing the best relative to their peers across the entire NFL. Now, we do things slightly differently here on Brody Sports Talk in that after ranking every team 1 through 32, we further split it into two or sorry, not two, into four tiers of eight teams each. So, Caleb, it's uh it's pop quiz time. It's pop quiz time. Well, we're what, what another are, power rankings pop quiz. What are what are the four tiers of the Brody they Sports Talk NFL power rankings? Playoff Spiring, wavering, and the basement. You... I have to put <laughs> my hand around to specifically put it as low as possible. You are very correct. We do split it into the playoff, aspiring, wavering, and basement tiers. So let's uh, let's get to the countdown. Uh, we always start at the top. So coming in at number one, the defending Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Coming in at number two, the Los Angeles Rams. Coming in at number three, the Kansas City Chiefs, four, and uh, a pretty big surprise considering where they fell on our preseason rankings, the Arizona Cardinals. Coming in at number five, the San Francisco 49ers, six, Baltimore Ravens, seven, Buffalo Bills, and rounding out our top eight is the Cleveland Browns. Now, I do want to mention really quick, and I realize I skipped this part. Uh, for our power rankings, we do formulate it by taking my individual rankings, Caleb's individual rankings, and Derek's. Uh, we combine them with two of our, uh, you know, occasional guest hosts. Uh, one is uh, Caleb's brother, Luke, and then the other one is Zach from Clutch Crew Sports. So we throw them all into the big, you know, algorithm, and that's how we ultimately get our specific power rankings. Uh, but let's talk about those playoff tier teams again. Um, a lot of, I would say, consistent names. But obviously, the Cardinals are the one that is a, a bit of a surprise. Now, we knew the NFC West was going to be competitive. We knew that, you know, at least for us, I, I know you and I, we were both very high on the Cardinals last season. And I think there were times where they showed us, the you know, and validated why we were so positive about them. And then there were times where they were inconsistent, where Kyler Murray had ball retention problems, where that defense just was a little too vulnerable at wrong times. 
and things didn't pan out. Now, we look at this division as easily the most stacked division in the NFL. So my question for you is, you know, at 2-0, and right, are the Arizona Cardinals on pace to be a playoff contender in this division or do you think that, you know, hey, once they actually start getting some of these divisional games in, they are going to fall off? And what's your reasoning for why or why not? I do think we need to start seeing some divisional games before we can really start crowning the Cardinals as too much of a contender. While I don't I I don't think they are a pretender. I mean, they were just the first team out of the playoffs last year. So it's not like they were far in a way, like not close. Mm-hmm. Uh, they finished eight and eight, and it's one of those things where, even with some of how they played against Vikings, it felt very much like the up and down that you can truly see from Arizona. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know what it is. Where it seems like, if you were just watching highlights, you go, "Oh my goodness, the Cardinals might be the best team that's ever been designed." You know, you have Chandler Jones getting four, five sacks against the Titans. You've got J.J. Watt back there. You have these electric catches and fancy throws and just dynamic runs from Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is someone who people are already saying is a potential MVP candidate through two games. And I just I need to see it against better competition, and I need to see it a little bit later into the season. I, I was double checking their schedule and what I was about to look up now. the Jaguars this week. They we get October is not a kind month to them. They get at Los Angeles Rams and then they host the San Francisco 49ers. They go at Cleveland, they host the Texans, and then they host the Packers on a short week. Between the Rams, 49ers, Browns, and Packers. We're going to know a whole lot more about this team than we've known about them playing the Texans and the Vikings. I can't help. I, oh, go ahead. I, no, I. it's one of those things where I just want more consistency and I want more urgency every time that they are on the field. I, I can't help but agree, and I think that, you know, bringing up their schedule in October is actually, while you are talking, I was pulling it up because I was going to kind of follow up with it, and I think those are very interesting matchups to take a look at, because you're going to learn, I think, different things in each one. Uh, so if we look at, you know, the Rams, the Rams have a very strong containment defense, and at this point, they're able to move the ball consistently in the air, their running back positions of, you know, a question mark. But, you know, you look at in comparison between the Vikings game and the Titans game for the cards, uh, that's a definitely a, a tale of, of two stories in regards to how they were able to deal with running back threats. Uh, you know, Dalvin Cook was able to, you know, between Cook and then, you know, Kirk Cousins scrambling-ish, the ball was moved consistently on the ground, whereas they were able to stifle the Titans consistently. So, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to still get beat in the air if they're able to contain the run against the Rams? And then kind of the same thing with the 49ers who offense, you know, offensively have not really hit their stride. So is this card's defense for real? Like, are they actually going to be able to do anything? And then, you know, we answer that question again at the end of the month against the Packers, who are going to be able to offensively, you know, especially after, you know, watching Monday Night Football, 
he's like, hey, the you know death of the Packers may be uh, foretold too soon. And, you know, they were able to consistently move the ball however they wanted to. So a lot of questions, I think, that can be answered. And it's just going to be a matter of time. I am leaning more toward them being um, a contender. And I think a lot of that has to do with Kyler Murray and the the dynamism that he brings to that offense is so hard to contain. And you would think at some point, at some point, right, defensive coordinators would have been able to deal with with him and plan for him, right? That was always the thing is, you know, these types of quarterbacks you can plan for, you get film on, and then, you know, you're able to deal with them. He's still able to do it. He is still able to consistently do it. And I think that you have to start talking about him in the same vein that you do Patrick Mahomes. That, you know, they find ways to do what it is that they do best despite what you're throwing against them. It's just Mahomes has better ball retention. It's really what it is. And I think that some of that has to do with like slight differences in play style. If that's something that Murray can deal with, then I cannot see a reason why you would say that this Cards team cannot contend unless defensively, defensively, the uh, the Titans game was an aberration as opposed to the norm. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's move on to our aspiring tier. So our aspiring tier for teams that are in playoff contention. But, you know, for one reason or another, they could potentially find themselves uh, on the outside looking in when it comes time for like a wild card berth. Uh, so coming in at number nine, we have the Las Vegas Raiders, 10 Seattle Seahawks, 11 Green Bay Packers, 12 Pittsburgh Steelers, 13 Los Angeles Chargers, 14 New England Patriots, 15 Tennessee Titans, and then rounding out the aspiring tier at 16, the Dallas Cowboys. Again, a lot of, I think, interesting storylines here to talk about. Green Bay, you know, like I said, their their demise was foretold a little bit too soon. Uh, Chargers came back down to earth a little bit. Seahawks came back down to earth a little bit. Uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said, Steelers, same, kind of the same case. But the Raiders, this is a Raiders team that whenever I look at the, like, tiebreakers, they were on the cusp of being a playoff-tier team. This is definitely not what I think anybody expected. So for me, I look at, you know, what has been the most impressive component of this 2-0 start? Because it's a little bit different than, you know, there's another 2-0 team that we didn't mention here that in the playoff were the aspiring tier in the Denver Broncos. Surprise, surprise, they're in the wavering tier. But, you know, they beat some subbar teams. Whereas the Raiders have looked good against teams that people thought were going to beat them. What to you, either from an individual player standpoint, from a uh, schematic standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, what has been the most impressive thing in this 2-0 start for you for the Raiders? So I would say that there's two things, and they are somewhat the the opposite sides of what you would see. So first off, I do have to say Derek Carr has looked fantastic. If we're talking about people who are like through two games, potential MVPs. I think Derek Carr deserves to have his name in that conversation because he has led wins against two difficult AFC North teams. Uh, you know, beating the Ravens at home is not anything to be upset about. And then beating the Steelers in Pittsburgh when they had just knocked off the Bills. I mean, those are quite impressive resume building wins for John Gruden and the Raiders. 
But Carr has looked good. They didn't have Josh Jacobs, and they found a way to move the ball against the Steelers. Man, running and <laughs> like Henry Ruggs got behind the defense. Like the Steelers don't let people get behind the defense typically. Like they're they're getting it done. Darren Waller has been amazing. Uh, Hunter Renfro has also been consistent. And whether it's you know Rick Ruggs or Braylon. Not Braylon Edwards. I think it's Brian Edwards. Um, they, they keep finding different players who are able to help them on the passing game. And when you look at the other side of the ball, they've had a great pass rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's Max Williams, who is up near the league lead in sacks. I think that he has four now. Like, just in general, if you're going to be able to get after the passer... All of a sudden, the defense that you have can look a whole lot better in a hurry. And let's face it, we didn't have high hopes for that defense. Uh, They have Gus Bradley, who has been known to be able to coach a defense, but not a team. And it's going to be interesting to see how this continues. You know, are people going to start getting a blueprint for how to beat the Raiders defense? That's that's the word. I I think that you know I don't want to piggyback off one thing you said and then elaborate um, on another of mine. So I I concur that Carr has probably been the single most impressive thing about this run, and this is a going against a Baltimore and a Steelers defense that is generally considered to be an, uh, not just an above average defense, but these are two of some of the best coached defenses. And from a personnel standpoint, have some of the you know best players at their positions in the NFL. And so Carr has made things like he looks like a, the seasoned veteran that you would hope he would look like at this stage in his career. And he's hitting all the right strides at the right time. What has been the I think you know the most impressive to me, and in conjunction with that is something you kind of hinted as well with Josh Jacobs having been out against the win over the Steelers. Even in the opener opener against the Ravens, it wasn't like he looked great. They've been able to do this in spite of their run game. And, you know, you think at some point, okay, well, we can go through and plan for this. Well, with Jacobs being out, you think, yeah, the Steelers are going to be able to, to, to deal with this. But the Raiders are able to move the ball consistently and spread it out. Right there, you know, we we look at this wide receiver core that has been so up and down over the last couple of years. I mean, my 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 boy Nelson Aguilar has moved on to to greener pastures to go drop balls, uh, you know, uh, on the East Coast. But, you know, it's still it's a, a matter of, hey, what guys are you having catch the ball? The emergence of Waller as you know, he was already considered, you know, definitely for fantasy anyway, but he was considered to be a consensus top five, top three tight end in the NFL. And I think especially with with the struggles that San Francisco's offense has had early in the season, I would probably move him above Kittle right now, uh, especially, you know, especially for fantasy one. But I think in impact to the game and a lot of that is how well Carr is playing. It's enabling Waller to really take over a game. I've just been incredibly impressed by this offense. Uh, you know, they they come up their next couple of games. Uh, they looks like they are hosting the Dolphins, traveling to the Chargers, and then hosting the Bears. I mean, they could potentially very well open the season 
five and zero. They should be favored in these next, especially if they beat the Dolphins pretty handily, which we're actually going to talk about them here in a second. Uh, you could, you know, this, this this could be the surprise team of the season. I, I legitimately think so. Um, but let's uh, let's move on down to our wavering tier. These are teams that would otherwise be in the aspiring tier, but there are more reasons as to why they may not be performing at the highest level, whether it be you know consistent issues on their on offense or defense, maybe some key injuries, maybe we're not confident in the coaching staff, maybe they've had some unlucky results to open the season. Whatever the reason, they are teams 17 through 24. Uh, coming in at 17, we have the Denver Broncos. Uh, 18 Carolina Panthers, 19 New Orleans Saints, 20 Philadelphia Eagles, 21 Washington football team, 22 Miami Dolphins, 23 Cincinnati Bengals, and at 24, we have the Chicago Bears. Now, before we talk about the team we want to talk about, we do have two 2-0 teams here um, in the Denver Broncos and the Carolina Panthers. Now, I know for me individually, I think that the Panthers have been... uh, you know, and to the Broncos to to another extent, two of the most impressive teams to start the season. You do have to look at the the you know teams that they've played, especially for Denver. But for Carolina, I think people are nervous that this may seem this this defensive you know performance may be a bit fluky. So I I think for a lot of us we we have our we want to put our foots on the gas, but we're kind of riding the brake just for now. Uh, but I want to talk about the Dolphins uh, coming in at number 22. Now, Tua is day-to-day right now with the rib injury. I know when he went down, people thought that it may have been that hip again, especially with the way that he was holding his side and, you know, just, just the, the the look. I mean, it was a, looked really bad. Like, the injury looked like it was going to be really, really bad. But he's honestly been kind of inconsistent to start the season and we really haven't seen through two games, I think the level of growth that Dolphins fans would have liked to have seen uh, from this past offseason heading into this season, which begs the question that I think a lot of teams have been, a lot of fans have been asking for teams that otherwise don't have a consistent answer at quarterback. Do you take a chance on Deshaun Watson? Uh, who the Texans, I think, have... I don't know if they they officially made him inactive or that's, like, something that they are, you know, going to be doing in a very short time frame. Either way, you know, even with the injury to Tyrod Taylor, they are going a different direction. Deshaun is not even really being, you know, acknowledged or considered. So is this, you know, whether it be going the Deshaun Watson direction or potentially looking at, hey... Can we move some assets around to get, you know, a better number two quarterback or potentially a number one, either, you know, through trade or through next year's draft? What do you do? Is this too early to start pulling the trigger on something like this? Or do you think that, especially with Flores, because Flores seems to to want to do stuff soon rather than, than wait. What do you think? So uh, first, I've got to give a quick plug to ourselves. Make sure you listen to tomorrow as we have the Thursday night football preview between the Panthers and the Texans, since we're talking about Deshaun Watson and his 
uh, non-injury related designation showing up on the injury report because he's do do not practice mm-hmm. and uh, he's officially inactive of the 53 man roster every day. So I I think that it's still too soon. Tua has not had a full 17 games to even have start in his NFL career. And even last year, it was some of this like, oh, oh, we're switching. Uh, well, we're putting Fitzpatrick in. Like, <laughs> I think the last thing that anyone wanted was Tua's development being interrupted because of injury or if Jacoby Brissett looked spectacular, which he did not. No. Uh, <laughs> he didn't. They had zero points when Tua left in the second quarter, and they ended the game with zero points. So I hear set, that's not good. I hear that doesn't win you games. Uh, typically, I, I have never seen a team win with zero points. So I think you are quite accurate there, Sean. I don't know how much of it is Flores and how much of it is management, because mm-hmm. I do feel like Miami has this... They want... They want basic. I think they still have that shadow of Marino hanging over the quarterback position because they haven't had a solid starting quarterback since they had the Marino era. And so I feel like it's in general this consistent push within the ownership of, okay, Tua might be okay. Tua might be a good starting quarterback. They have a good defense. But if we can go get someone who we think might be a Hall of Famer, we need to go get that person. Now, obviously, when we're talking about Deshaun, we have a whole plethora of off-the-field questions. I'm still not really sure why he's not on the commissioner's exempt list. It's not my choice to make those things. I think that, in general, Houston's going to sit tight, similar to what happened with Rodgers when he wasn't traded before the draft. They want to at least wait and not have teams get worst draft picks because Rodgers is putting them late in the playoffs. Houston doesn't want to trade Watson and have them see Watson win games this year. They want to get whatever high pick they're going to get and trade Watson for that. And I I think that's absolutely fair. I'm, I, I feel like the Dolphins have to be closer than they've ever been at this point, because you do wonder, I mean, like you said, Tua hasn't really, like you don't really have enough to to analyze him and what you have seen the good and positive moments have been much fewer and further between this is this is a team that is equipped you know with the the patriots essentially on the up and up right they they are showing significant strides from how poor that they you know they looked last season and the bills look you know still look great but there is a bit of a chink in that armor. Uh, and, you know, there's still that question of, are the Bills actually that good? This is a Dolphins team that, you know, a lot of people predicted would make the playoffs. Uh, I know you predicted it. I know Derek predicted it. I definitely did not because I I still had so many questions. And, you know, it, it seems as if right now they're not trending in a positive direction which does lead me to believe that even if they don't pull the trigger and try to make some moves, you know, during this trade window, I, I, I am not sold 
on Tua long term. And I feel like this is a player that they move on from, you know, depending on how bad the season goes, right? If they end, uh, I don't know what they're, they, they, they have their first rounder next season, right? Like, I mean, they. Uh, and San Francisco's. Oh, well then, uh, yeah, San Francisco is probably going to be a later pick anyway. But, you know, say if they get a, if they get a decently high pick, there's some okay quarterback prospects that are coming through, you know, to the NFL. It's not the greatest draft class. But in regards to quarterbacks, there are some options. So we'll we'll see what they do. I'm I don't think Watson's the answer, but it does pose a very intriguing question. So Sean, I just want to stay here for one one more moment. Ooh, so okay. if they were if they're going to go for someone, wh- where do you start? Like so, I'm like okay. So if there's Watson, and let's say the Texans just say not right now. The Dolphins want to move, but they get shut out. I'm struggling to really find where I feel the narrative may fit. Do the Eagles potentially give up Flacco and stick with Minshew behind Hurts? I know that in general, the Eagles value having multiple quality quarterbacks. Like, does Foles get a return to Florida after whatever happened in Jacksonville? Because, I I mean, don't get me wrong, the Dolphins are a better roster than Jacksonville. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I was starting to look around, and I'm like, okay, well, wait, we already have injuries at multiple spots, or you saw like Baker Mayfield leave the game for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So like, the Bills have Trubisky, and I don't think they're going to trade him to a division rival. No, like is, I'm, I just was like, kind of interesting though, <laughs> like, like, like I'm like, where, where is the fit? And I think that that fit may be harder then is realized with some of the ones going down a little bit. Like, I mean, Dalton's already down. So that means Fields is starting and Foles is technically the backup. Whereas Foles may have been available two weeks ago. I don't know that Foles is as available now. No. It, it gets a lot complicated in a hurry. There's an interesting uh, quarterback that used to be in the division uh, as recently as the season and is no longer if they uh, if they get desperate enough. Uh, you can't decipher anything he posts on Instagram, but you know he's he's available. Uh, they could go the Cam Newton direction, like they legitimately could go the Cam Newton direction. Um, I, I, which I think actually, you know, now that I then I think about it, is probably the easiest thing to do because you're not really looking at you know having to bust out a trade, and that does give you potentially a temporary solution heading into this off season. But do you want to take on that presence in the locker room? especially if he does okay. Like what I mean, it's not even like a crazy good, right? Just imagine if he simply does okay. And then, you know, obviously he's not the long-term answer, but then you're like, well, two is not really the long-term answer either then, either then. And so you're just kind of in the same boat, but you've made the hole a little bit bigger. So now you're sinking a little bit faster. I kind of feel like the Dolphins are in a, a very rough position no matter what they do. Uh, I, I legitimately think that, I mean, you know, there are some decent quarterback prospects to take a look at. I mean, I know Spencer Rattler has been a little maligned. Same thing with Howell. Um, you know, they haven't really opened the season that great. Um, I mean, Malik Willis is still a potential option. I know that people are, even though he plays for Liberty, people are still like very high on him as a mobile quarterback. And you're really seeing uh, so many quarterbacks that are able to adapt their game coming into the NFL and be that dual threat and be effective. So, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we see the Dolphins uh, go uh, go a bit of a different direction. 
Um, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Well, let's talk about our basement teams. These are teams 25 through 32. Uh, coming in at 25, Houston Texans. 26, Indianapolis Colts. 27, Minnesota Vikings. 28, Detroit Lions. 29, Atlanta Falcons. 30, New York Jets. 31, New York, or sorry, 30, New York Giants. 31, New York Jets. 32, Jacksonville Jaguars. So many New York teams. You know, it feels like this is this is a repeat of 2020. I'm looking at the bottom four teams. And I'm like, is this have anything? Has anything changed? <laughs> well, bottom five teams really. Has anything changed? Um, maybe the the Texans are a little bit higher up. A little bit higher up. That's about it. It's about it. Um, but there are a lot of teams that are 0 and 2 here, which you would expect. Uh, and I think a couple of teams that are 0 and 2 that you wouldn't necessarily expect to uh, have been 0 and 2. Uh, I'm talking about the Minnesota Vikings and the. Uh, Indianapolis Colts. Now, the Colts, you can kind of understand, right? Heading into the season, we're like, this is going to be rough. But, you know, ultimately, Wentz was able to play. Well, now he's, you know, back in the exact same boat that, you know, Indianapolis fans were hoping he wouldn't be in and that Eagles fans are like, <laughs> I told you so. Uh, how do you sprain both ankles? ankles how do you sprain both ankles? I mean, c- come on, man. I don't think he did it at the same time. If that makes you feel any better. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't make him feel any better, but I just don't want the improved draft pick. I mean, that's all I, I think care about anymore, but let's talk about the Vikings. Let's talk about the Vikings. Cause if you look at their you know record, they are 0 and two, but there's are two losses by a combined four points with one of the games going to overtime. And they're the one essentially lost off of a missed game winning field goal. So that doesn't feel very good if you're a Vikings fan. And you can definitely look at some of the defensive struggles that they've had and say, man, this feels very much like last season. But you look at the offense, and the offense feels like it's clicking okay. Cousins looks like the, you know, B, like average quarterback that you expect him to be week in and week out. The running game is okay. Right, they they've got some some decent players at wide receiver that are are showing up just the same way that they always do. This is a team that could, you know, if the coin flip had landed the other way, could be uh, you know a two and O team, but they are zero and two. So my question for you, and this is a pretty simple one, is how good is this team actually? Like, how, do you looking at maybe, you know, the next four to six games, how many of them are winnable? And how do you look at this 0-2 start and gauge how good the Vikings are? Really is an interesting question because the Vikings are a team that I feel like we should be able to have better or clearer expectations of what should be happening with them. You know, this is a Mike Zimmer coach team. Mike Zimmer's been there for ages. Kirk Cousins has been there for what feels like a long time now. And, you know, you you know the faces. The faces are not that different. You've got Elin, Jefferson. Yeah, Irv Smith is down. But like you said, offensively, they haven't really had that same issue. No, I mean KJ Osborne's looked good. Like I mean, that's you said. Yeah. There's some. There's a lot of. There are a lot of positive things going on in the Vikings camp right now. Um, and as long as COVID isn't one of them, then I think that they're going to be okay. Uh, like, yeah. 
Sorry, I realized as soon as I said pause, I'm like, oh, here's a good, uh, here's a good thing to throw in there. But no, I mean, really though, you look at all of these players and they are doing well. It's just for one reason or another, it they're having these Vikings esque slip ups, and I can't help but think that this is it goes maybe a little bit beyond the players. This is. You know, this might just simply be a coaching thing. This might be a readiness thing. This might be a mentality thing. You know, one of the things that, you know, um, just to, just to, you know, plug the other podcast I'm in, Gunners and Blues, one of the things we talk about a lot in footy or in soccer is mentality. And in order for a team to really take their game to the next level, you have to be a mentality monster. That's that's what the common term is, mentality monster. It's where when you deal with adversity, whether it be an unfortunate injury, whether it be a fluke goal, or something that would otherwise shift momentum, you have to have that mentality to hold steadfast, deal with that adversity, and get a good result. The Vikings are definitely not mentality monsters and historically have not been. If anything, they have been the opposite. So at some point, you have to wonder, is it cultural? And I'm not saying cultural around the Vikings' you know, history of, of getting to that point and then falling short, but I'm talking about, you know, is this a an issue with the culture around the team due to the coaching staff. They have a lot of tough games coming up. They're hosting the Seahawks. They're hosting the Browns. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this this trip to Carolina could potentially be a lot rougher than people had originally thought. Really, the only game that I think that they're going to be favored in right now is probably going to be against the Lions. And so this is, this is a team that could start out with one win uh, through mid-October. That is, that is not good. Remember, I I want to I want to do a quick throwback before we we call it an episode. When we were doing our Vikings predictions, uh, or I don't know if it was when we were doing our predictions or we we're doing our Vikings preview episode, one of the questions that we talked about <clears throat> was around the coaching staff and whether or not we could potentially see changes, you know, during the season. And my you know thing was well. I don't think it happens during the season. I think if anything, it happens, you know, during the during the off season or like at the end of the season as a as a retirement thing. I mean, Zimmer's old, so him stepping down made sense. Well, they start out with one win in like you know six games, seven games. If he gets to that point, that is a catalyst for for change. Uh, well, that's it for us um, for our uh, week three NFL power rankings. If you liked it, please do us a solid favor pretty much across the board. Uh, if you listen to us on a podcasting platform, if it lets you rate us, please do so. If it lets you subscribe, please do so. We appreciate any and all feedback and the consistent listens uh, help us out tremendously. If you are watching us on YouTube, please subscribe, leave a comment, you know, uh, we we appreciate again any and all feedback. We got some cool merch. You know, if you're wondering how to get access to any and all of this, it's all in our link tree, L I N K T R dot E E slash 
Brody talk, not Broid talk. Uh, Brody talk, just to make sure that that's clarified. And that's pretty much it for us. Any final thoughts before we uh, call it an evening, Caleb? Uh, I love the power rankings. They're so good. Long live the power rankings. Long live the power rankings. On behalf of Caleb, I am Sean. And on behalf of our missing co-host, Derek, we are Brody Sports Talk. We are signing out. Have a good one, everybody. Bye.